And then as they're finding their seats, why don't we uh, open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 this morning. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Thus ends our reading of God's trustworthy word. May all who hear it understand the faithfulness of our God. As I was preparing this week's message, my, my original intention was to preach through, through the end of this chapter. And the reason I wanted to do that was because the section that we have just read today really establishes what we see coming next. And yet, if, if I were to do that, I could only briefly cover what we see going on in these verses. And there is a valuable, valuable lesson that God has given to us within this passage for today. A lesson that we should not ignore. And that lesson is this. God is faithful to answer the prayers of those who pray in his will. Let me repeat that. God is faithful to answer the prayers of those who pray in his will. Now, it was only two weeks ago that we read about how this upstart church went to God in prayer during their moment of crisis, right? You remember both Peter and John, they, they were arrested by the Sanhedrin, and they had been given strict orders to no longer preach the name of Jesus. And so in their distress, what did they do? What did Peter and John do? They, they, they gathered with the church and they prayed together. And if you, if you remember, if you look at that prayer, what you will remember is that these believers, they incorporated scripture into their prayers. They, they, they quoted two messianic psalms in order to better understand what the will of God was concerning this ban on the name of Jesus. And if you recall, it wasn't until after they had prayed through those psalms that they had, that they had finally then made their petition to God. For now that they knew what God's will was, they were then in a position to ask appropriately. And what was it that they asked for? Look, look again at Acts chapter 4. Look at, look at verses 29 and 30. It says this, And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, now there are three things, three petitions that this young church was asking of the Lord. One, that, that God would look upon their threats. They, they wanted God to see the injustice of their situation and then to judge accordingly. Two, that, that God would, would grant to his servants to continue to speak his word with all boldness. They wanted God to give, him, give them the courage that they would need to still preach the name of Jesus, even when all those around them were spewing out threats. And finally, three, that God would stretch out his hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Basically, what they were asking God to do was, was to validate their testimony of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world that was all around them. Here's the thing about this prayer. This prayer was exactly in line with God's will. I mean, after all, this, this is what Jesus had commanded them to do before he ascended into heaven, is it not? To be his witnesses. Now think about some of the things that they could have asked God for. Oh, please, God, smite my enemies. Right? Or, or please, God, send, send me to a different mission field. One where, where those who are in power will be friendly and more welcoming. That's not what they did. Because those things were not in God's will. God desired for them to remain where they were in Jerusalem. And the reason they were to remain was because there were more souls within that city who needed to be one to Jesus Christ. Now, now before we move on and look back into chapter 5, I, I want to address something Particular about these petitions, particularly this last petition. You, you see, if, if we're not careful, if, if we do not do our due diligence in the study of this text, we can run into two different extremes. There's, there's the one extreme that, that wants to make praying for signs and wonders normative, right? That this is something that, that Christians should always be praying for. And then there's the other extreme. Those who claim that, that these Christians were out of line by, by praying for such things. And they'll, they'll say that Scripture clearly speaks against praying for signs and wonders. Let, let me address the latter before I address the former. A ask yourself this. Is it really wrong to pray for signs and wonders? Where in God's Word... Are, are such things forbidden? Well, let me take you to some of the passages that these people will point out to you where this seems to be the case. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 25. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And and then listen to this in verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so clearly in this passage, we see Paul putting an an emphasis on the the preaching of Christ crucified, do we not? That that it is through such preaching that both Jews and Greeks come to saving faith. And yet we also see two things that Paul disparages. The reliance upon worldly wisdom and this demand for signs. What do you say? For Jews demand signs. But if that passage wasn't clear enough, how about the words of our Lord? Look at at Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Again, it's pretty clear, is it not? Only those who are evil and adulterous seek signs. I mean, isn't that what Jesus just told us? So so why then did these believers, did these apostles who sat under the feet of Jesus for, for three years, why are they now praying for signs and wonders? Might I suggest to you that when this early church prayed for these signs and wonders, that what they were doing was something very different than what both Jesus and Paul condemned. Consider the context of Jesus' words. What were these Pharisees and Sadducees doing when they were asking Jesus for a sign? What did Matthew tell us? They were testing Jesus, right? In other words, these men did not believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is the Messiah. And so they demanded a sign in order for Jesus to prove himself. Let me put it this way. It it was out of an unbelieving heart that these religious leaders were asking for a sign. Listen, if you demand a sign from God in order for God to validate himself to you, then that demand has its root in skepticism. And it is wicked to the core. For for it is a testing of God. It's like the modern atheist who who, who believes that, that God should bend the knee to their wishes and prove his existence on their terms. Let me tell you, even if God condescended to the atheist's demand, and even if he gave an undisputable sign, 
that atheist would not believe anyways. And that's because his heart is filled with both doubt and hatred for God. And yet, when we see the apostles praying for signs and wonders, they were not praying out of a position of unbelief. No. Rather, they were praying out of a position of faith. They, they, they weren't asking God to prove himself to them. Rather, they were praying for these signs and wonders in order that God would authenticate the name of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world. In other words, they, they weren't praying this for their own sake, but for the sake of the lost. They already believed and now they wanted these signs and wonders to be a supporting witness to the proclamation of Jesus' name. But the question arises, well then shouldn't we always pray for signs and wonders? Shouldn't we be just like this early church and make this a normative thing? Again, this is where context is key, right? Consider the context of this passage, of this prayer of theirs. I mean, what was going on in the book of Acts? What was going on in this prayer? This, this early church was experiencing the first signs of persecution. And so these people prayed to the Lord Almighty in order to understand his will. And because they knew where God had placed them in salvation history, because they knew that, that the church was in its infancy, they understood that God would need to validate the apostles' teaching as they proclaimed the name of Jesus. I mean, think about it. The, the, the teachings of Jesus had yet to be written down, right? As of yet, there was no New Testament. Only these eyewitness accounts of those who had seen our resurrected Lord. And yet God had already been validating the message that they had been preaching through various signs and wonders at that time. For example, I mean, he had, God had given to them the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost, right? On day one. When, when Peter preached the message of salvation in the name of Jesus, and roughly 3,000 were saved that day. Or how about later when, when God used John and Peter to heal a man who had been lame since birth, which led to Peter once again preaching the name of Jesus where they saw thousands more enter into the kingdom. And so we see that this was the method that God had been using at that time in order to grow his church. And yet we today live in a different context, do we not? The church has been established. And the teachings of Jesus are recorded for us in the New Testament. We have the eyewitness testimony written down for us right here. And both history and archaeology are on our side. And so we don't necessarily need these signs and wonders as a supporting witness, do we? Now, does that mean that we should... That, that God no longer demonstrates his mighty power through signs and wonders? No, because he can and he does. And so it doesn't mean that we should never pray for such things as well. What, what it does mean 
is that unless God wills it, these signs and wonders will not happen. And so we should try to try our best to discern God's will as we pray. All this leads us to our text for today. What an introduction, right? And in our text today, we will see clear evidence that what this young church had prayed for was God's will. And more importantly, we we will see that God is faithful to answer the prayers of those who pray in his will. For he will faithfully answer all three petitions that we saw in this prayer. Look at, look at Luke, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And right out, look, look at what it says. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. And so Luke has, has now made it very apparent that, that this church was in God's will when they prayed for these signs and wonders. For, for what do we see? We see Jesus demonstrating his power through his apostles on a regular basis. It is exactly what they prayed for, for these signs and wonders. And we'll see this more clearly as we get further into this passage. But bottom line, God was faithful. He was faithful to answer the prayers of his people by performing these signs and wonders. But that isn't the only answered prayer that we see in this verse, is it? For, for despite the ban that had been placed on them, they continued to meet in Solomon's portico. In other words, they, they were gathering for worship in Jesus' name right outside the temple. Think about that. They, they, they were pretty much in the backyard of the Sadducees. Now, if that doesn't speak of boldness, then I don't know what does. Imagine if you were in their shoes. What would you have done? Imagine if you had been threatened with arrest, with with severe punishment, if you continued to preach the name of Jesus. What would you have done? How many of you would have found a new spot to worship? Perhaps someplace a little further away from that temple. Someplace a little more hidden, a little more secretive. Or how many of you would have just stopped preaching altogether? But that's not what these Christians did. Instead, they continued to meet in Solomon's portico. And that was a brash, brash thing to do. And yet they did so because they knew that it was God's will for them to not hide. That God wanted them to be bold. That he wanted them to be courageous. And this is why they prayed for such boldness, right? And so we we see here also that, that God was faithful to answer their prayers by granting them the boldness to speak his word. That's just it. Right? God is faithful to answer the prayers of those who pray in his will. And yet, as we'll soon see, God had also put a hedge of protection around this church. Look at, look at verse 13. 
None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now, if, if you remember my message from last week, we talked about the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, right? This married couple who, who had lied to the Holy Spirit about, about the amount that they had sold their land for when they had given their offering. And that God's judgment had fallen upon them and that they had both died on the very same day in full view of the church. Luke then told us that a, a, a great fear came upon not only the church, but, on, but upon the whole of Jerusalem. News about this couple spread and, and the fact that God had judged these two for their irreverent worship cast a terror throughout the city. And this is why now here in our passage today that Luke, Luke, Luke tells us that, that none of the rest dare join them. I mean, would you want to join them? I mean, the, the people in this city, they, they didn't have the courage to come close. They, they, they feared that they might suffer the same judgment as, as this Ananias and Sapphira if they had tried to join or even tried to disrupt the worship of these Christians. And yet, what does Luke also mention? That these people spoke highly of them. There was esteem for the church. Now why would this be? Why would the people esteem them? I don't know exactly why, but I have a hunch. Look, look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Listen to the words of our Lord. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this is what we've seen, have we not? A, a love for one another. This, this church, they were such a close-knit group. And they were there for one another, right? They were like family who took care of even the least among them. Their love for one another was now shining through and it, and it created great favor with the rest of the people in Jerusalem. Now, now when you put these two things together, both the, the great fear that was upon the city as well as the favor among the people, when you put them together, what you will discover is that this made it very, very difficult for these Jewish religious leaders to arrest these men. Consider this verse that comes a little later in our chapter. Look at, look at Acts 5, verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. He received the apostles being arrested once, once again, but, but these, these officers, they have to do so carefully, right? They need to tread lightly because they feared for their own lives. I mean, if they had shown too much aggression, Luke tells us that, that the people were ready to stone them. All this to say that, 
is that, that God had given to his church a reprieve, right? A reprieve from the hostile threats of the Sanhedrin. And that was another answer to their prayers, was it not? It was an answer to their first petition. God was faithful to answer the prayers of his people by looking upon their threats and providing his hedge of protection. And yet God's faithfulness has purpose behind it. Does it not? Look, look at verses 14 and 15 of our passage. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. You see, even though there was fear among the people, God was using the boldness of these Christians, as, as well as these signs and wonders, to bring more and more people into the kingdom of God. I mean, what does Luke say here? That more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Now think about that. On the day of Pentecost, how many were added to the Lord? Roughly 3,000. And then when that lame man was healed, how many were added to the Lord? Thousands more, somewhere between two and 5,000, depending on how you interpret that passage. But ever since these Christians prayed for God's will to be done, we now see that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. More than on the day of Pentecost. More than when that lame man walked. God is being faithful to his church. And what else do we see? That, that, that Jesus continued to authenticate the message of his apostles by providing these signs and wonders. As, as what did people do? They, they brought people out into the streets, all their sick, in order that Peter's shadow might fall upon them, and, they, and then they would be healed. Now, now, what I think is going on here is that because of this great fear that had spread throughout the city, instead of people coming to the apostles... They, they were laying their sick out on the streets, hoping that this shadow of Peter's would fall upon them and they would be healed. This was one way that they could keep their distance and yet still benefit from Jesus' healing power. Think of the, the, the woman who, who, who touched the tassel of Jesus' robe to be healed. It's a similar thing. So what we see in these people was a measure of faith, even though at the same time they were filled with fear. And yet God was using all of this to grow his kingdom, to, to rescue lost souls from the pits of hell. And what's even greater is that this didn't remain in Jerusalem alone. Look at, look at our last verse. Look at verse 16. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
And here we see those from, from these nearby villages bringing their sick into Jerusalem in order to find healing. Now, how did they know to come to Jerusalem? Because the news was spreading, right? The news about these signs and wonders and about all that God was doing through these apostles. Neighbors were telling neighbors. And those neighbors were telling their neighbors. And pretty soon the whole thing went viral. <laughs> I know, they didn't have Twitter back then. This is good news, is it not? The message was going out. The name of Jesus that had been banned by the religious leaders was now going past the outskirts of Jerusalem and into Judea. And wasn't this exactly the next phase in Jesus' commission? Look again at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. <clears throat> this witness of Jesus Christ was now leaving Jerusalem and making its way into, Jer into Judea. And slowly but surely, God was making sure that the name of his son, of Jesus Christ, would find its way to the ends of the earth. And this really gets to the heart of what these Christians had prayed for in the first place, does it not? I mean, think about their petitions. Why did they want God to look upon the threats looming over his church? Because those threats could have hindered the mission of Jesus. Why did they want God to, to grant them to continue to speak his word with all boldness? Because they didn't want to neglect the commissioning that Christ had given to them. And why did they pray for God to continue to heal and to perform signs and wonders? Because they wanted Jesus' name to be validated. Validated to an unbelieving world. You see, when we put this all together, what we really see this early church praying for was for God to continue to grow his kingdom. For ultimately, that, that was God's will. And God is faithful to grow his kingdom through those who are in his will. This early church was faithful to pray God's will. And God was faithful to answer those prayers. And that is the point. God is faithful. And he has called for New Hope Church to pray his will as well. He is calling upon us to discover what his will is, right? And he is also calling upon us to then pray. For when we do, when we discover God's will and when we pray his will, what will happen? God will be faithful. He will answer our prayers. And when he answers our prayers, what will we see? We will see his kingdom grow right before our eyes. 
Do you see it? We need to be a people who are in prayer. And the reason we need to pray is because we have a God who is faithful. He won't let us down. He is the almighty. He is the all-powerful, sovereign God. His will will be done. Now, before we close in prayer, I, I want to read to you one more verse. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm almost certain that there was someone who prayed for you. God is faithful. Is he not? Let's pray. Father, you truly are the faithful one. You are, you are faithful to all those who choose to follow your will. And so we ask of you today that, that you would help us to know your will. But not only that, that we would know your will, but that, that we would desire for your will to be done. Just like these early Christians, that we would seek to see your kingdom grow. Grow right here in Oxford. And yet that desire can only come about if, if your Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. And so we pray for your Spirit to lead us. We pray for your Spirit to guide us and to direct us. That we might take the name of Jesus and proclaim him to, to an unbelieving world. To proclaim him as Lord and Savior to those who are lost and without hope. And if it be your will, may you perform signs and wonders in order to validate your message. In order to validate the name of Jesus. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.